Today we're going to start a new series on the good news. What is the good news? Why share good news? How do you share good news? And right away we all want to jump to the how-to, right? <clears throat> you know, that's, that's what all the books are, the, all the self-help things, how-to. But today we're going to actually start with why. Why is it good news? Why should we share good news? And what's the why not of sharing good news? Um, to give you a preview of something coming to our church in April, mid-April, we have a church assessment team that will be coming and being a part of our weekend services. There'll be a couple of special meetings announced that weekend of April 17th through the 20th, right after Easter. Um, so this, it'll be a congregational assessment and learning experience. And this is a part of us just discerning what is our God-given shape, what's, what does the future look like for the way church, what is God doing among us and calling us to. And so it'll be a, an exciting time. But as I'm thinking about that and preparing and, and doing some phone uh, interviews this week in preparation for that weekend, um, I started thinking about things that church people measure. So, you know, every year in the spring we do a family chat. There's some pie charts that go up on the screen. There's some reports on the past year and some uh, looking ahead to the year to come. And there's a lot of good things that happen there. But really the two things that churches count, typically, are attendance and giving. I've got some concerns about that. Um, now definitely numbers matter, right? If our king says go and make disciples, there should be some numerical growth happening in the body of Christ, right? So at the end of 2020, there should be more people in God's kingdom than there were at the end of 2019 if we as the church capital C that we're a, a little part of here at the Way Church are a part of obeying the king's commands, there should be some numerical growth. Uh, the money, take it or leave it, right? I mean, you know, that's a tool that can be used in God's kingdom. Uh, there's parts of the world where it's illegal to have an organized uh, establishment and it's a very bare bones operation where you meet in homes secretly and God's word goes forth. Now there's still you know, finances that are required to continue God's work. But I don't think when we stand before God, when he returns in his glory, he's going to have pie charts up on church attendance or the amount of money that came in the offering plate. I suspect that what God will count instead will be baptisms. Jesus said in Mark, his last words in Mark 16, he said, i to find it in my notes here. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. The end of Matthew 18, he adds to that, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I think really it's the baptisms that matter in God's eyes. Now, baptism is not your ticket to heaven. Baptism is not uh, what saves you. But baptism is that outward sign of what Jesus has done in your heart. It's that initiation act. It's that I'm committed to you. It's, it's similar to a wedding day, right? So the wedding day didn't seal the deal for Heidi and I. There was a lot of marriage that has happened since that day, and yet it was a significant marker in our relationship. It was the day that we entered into that covenant before a lot of witnesses who saw and heard and observed the pledges that we were making and now the excitement begins, right? That day after day following through on that commitment. Baptism is like that. 
I have a concern as I look at our church, and it's just the urgency of we need more baptisms. Um, who are the fresh, brand new followers of Jesus in our midst? Who are the people that you shared the good news with in 2019 that now we're having to find out where are we going to do a baptism? There's not a pool at Pine Ridge Elementary, right? And so um, this month is in the month of March as we're looking at good news. Let me just put that, that urgency out to you. And, and let's put it this way. Instead of beating yourself up about the past, make it a goal. Who is God putting on your heart to share the good news with this month? Okay, does anybody get a little, a little heart palpitation when I say that? Is there a little pressure there? Is it a little scary to think about, all right, maybe when Jesus said, preach the good news, maybe he was talking to me specifically. Can I do that? Well, hopefully as we go through some approaches to sharing the good news, some reasons for sharing the good news, you will feel more comfortable about taking that step of obedience and seeing God work in and through you. And then in April, we'll have a baptism Sunday and get to celebrate new, new souls along with the angels in heaven who are singing praises and glorifying God and celebrating and rejoicing. We'll get to do that as well. So let me put that challenge out for you that you would begin to pray and meditate and think and say, God, who are you calling me to bring good news to this month in the month of March? So this Sunday, I want to look at um, two, two broad questions. Why is the good news good news? And why are we called to share good news? So um, each week, in the next three weeks, as we're going through this series on the gospel, on the good news, I'm going to just share one technique, one how-to of sharing the gospel that may work for you. There's different uh, different strokes for different folks, right? Different things that may work for you, different techniques that you might learn. There's been a lot of approaches to sharing the gospel. The one today that I'm going to present to you is one that all you need is a paper copy of a Bible. I know a lot of people are going digital these days. You could probably make up your own uh, digital version, but all you need is, and it could even be a New Testament only. It can be a pocket New Testament this, this approach to sharing the good news is called the Romans Road. Anybody familiar with the, the Romans Road? Have you heard that? Okay. And I think there are different versions of it, but basically what this is doing, it's looking at the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, which was comprised of a very diverse group of believers, some who were from Jewish backgrounds, some who were from non-Jewish, Roman, Gentile background. A lot of his letter was, was directing them, how do you two get along with each other? You, you're all followers of Jesus, but you've come from different ethnic and cultural and religious backgrounds. How do you now together serve Jesus? But in those instructions, he's reminding them what the gospel is. He's re- reminding them of the core essential truths of the gospel, the good news. And those, those phrases are interchangeable. You can call it gospel, or you can call it good news, and it's the same word in Greek. It's the same word in your Bible. And so he's writing to the Romans and saying, here's what the the good news is in a nutshell. And so Romans gives us a good template for sharing the good news with others. So today, let's just, uh, I'm going to present this for you on on the, if you're taking notes, the top half, you could jot some of these down. If you don't uh, have, have the ability to do that today, 
I'm sure Google could help you if you just search the Romans Road. You can find uh, something that you print out or order online to help you with this as well. But the nice thing is that if you take a, a pencil or a pen in the margin of your, uh, in, in, the, in Romans itself, as you're going through, all you need to know is the first passage. So memorize Romans 3.23. And if you can remember that, then when you have a chance to share the good news with someone, you just need to turn to Romans 3.23 and then write in the margin the next verse that you go to in Romans. And then as you're going through this, you can turn the Bible toward them and you can, you can be, okay, now, now that we've read Romans 3.23 and talked about that a little, let's go over and read this next passage. And you can have your cheat notes written right in the margin of your own Bible. So it's, a, it's a, a, an easy, convenient way for you to kind of think through the, the logical progression of presenting good news to someone. Before you start talking about eternity, it's a good idea to have some hook, some tie-in to that person to get them thinking about the deeper things in life, right? Like it's hard to go right from talking about the Broncos or March Madness into a gospel presentation. So you may want to ask something like, you know, wait till the opportunity is there where, where God has been brought up in conversation, where there's some contemplation about the meaning of life. And a nice question you can ask if, if God gives you the boldness and the courage is to ask this. If you were to die tonight, do you know for sure where you would spend eternity? And then let them answer that. Now, that's, a, that's a big question. That's a direct question. But, you know, people like to talk about their views on things. Now, make sure when you ask the question, you're asking it in an authentic, interested way, not a leading, baiting question so that I can blast you with the correct answer after you get it wrong, but just in a genuine, safe way. Have you ever thought about eternity? Have you ever thought about what happens when we die? You know, there's current news stories that would open the door to this, right? What do you think about the coronavirus? What would, where, where do you think you would go if you had too many coronas and caught this virus? <laughs> well, may, may, I, may, I may need to check the science on that. But open up that conversation to get people thinking about what happens in the life to come. Now, you may get a variety of answers. I don't really think there is an afterlife. I think this life is all you have. Okay. What brought you to that? Ask some follow-up questions. Get to the heart of why they believe what they believe. But at the end of that, it's going to open up the opportunity for you to now segue into saying, well, you know, my pastor's been on our case at church about telling people about what the Bible says about the afterlife. Can I just, would you be interested in hearing what God's word has to say about this? You can blame me. I'll take that. Or maybe you're going to find somebody, and I'm going to pray that as you pray and say, God, give me someone to share good news. I'm going to pray that he just gives, he just tees it up for you and makes it so simple that, you know, you, you show up at work tomorrow and your coworker is just quietly crying. And as you walk by trying to ignore them, they're like, can I just talk to you for a second? And you're like, uh, sure, I was heading to the coffee pot. What did you need? I'm just really wondering about the meaning of life. What happens after we die? <laughs> if only someone could share the truth with me, is there anywhere we could go to find out the answers to these big life questions? I'm hoping he makes it that simple for you, and I think the Holy Spirit can do that. 
So whatever condition you find that person in, whether they're um, open, somewhat open, argumentative, interested, I think this Romans road would help you if they're willing to walk through some verses to just see what does God say about this? What does his word say? And so when we look to what God says, um, a, lot, a lot of people in that, in that answer, where do you think you'll go for eternity? If they do believe in heaven, they'll say, well, I think I'll go to heaven. Why do you think that? What do you think the number one answer is to that? Why, why would God let you into heaven? I'm a good person, right? And, and, and that's, you know, I mean, that's a good, self-confident, optimistic person, right? I'm basically a good person. Maybe they're comparing themselves to somebody else. I'm not as bad as that dude, so God's got to let me into heaven because, you know, by, by the law of averages or, or if he's grading on a curve, I should make it in. I should get a passing grade. There's a lot of people worse than me, so he should let me in. Well, that's where Romans 3.23 helps them to open their eyes to the, the actual problem that exists. So Romans 3.23 is this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's a couple other verses that you could add on if you want to expand on that. Also from Romans 3.10. It says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. And then also in chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So that gives you an opportunity to talk about the problem. Sin is the problem. Judgment, well, we're gonna, that comes up next. There's a consequence next. Sin is the problem. So now, now you can just begin to have a conversation about sin. What do you think sin is? What, what, what is sin? You know, give, me, give me some examples of sin. Tell me a, a story about sin. Help me, give me a definition of sin. And, and let them share their thoughts and ideas. They'll probably nail it. Typically, we tend to minimize our own sin and think that other people's sins are a lot worse than our own, right? But so you can, you can explore that topic a little bit in your conversation. You know, what do you call it when you cheat on your spouse? Adultery? What do you call someone who commits adultery? An adulterer? What do you call, what do you call it when you bend the truth? Lying? What do you call someone who lies? A liar? Okay? What do you call somebody who, who fudges their taxes? A thief? Or stealing? What do you call someone who steals? A thief? And get them to think about the fact that, yeah, when you think about it, it's true. So, so these verses ring true for people. There may be, we, we may set up different criterion and scales and say, well, there's little white lies, and then there's the seven deadly sins, but those are our ways of measuring sin. The fact is, all have sinned, just as it says here in Romans 3.23, and I think anyone would agree with you. You're probably not going to find anyone in Aurora or Centennial or Parker or Denver that goes, no, actually, I'm, I'm a sinless person. Yeah, I, I, I see and observe that everyone else has, but I, I've attained sinless perfection. At least not someone that you need to share the gospel with. Um, maybe a Christian who's, who's got some Pharisee, Pharisee issues that needs, needs also to have the gospel shared with them. But I think this rings true for people. And, and when confronted with the, the idea that I'm basically a good person, 
when you start looking a little bit more closely at that sin issue, uh, it creates a problem. It says, actually, if you have sinned, you're actually a sinner, not a good person. And that's a problem. You know, not, not a super fun way to start out, but to be honest, there is a bad news aspect to the good news. If all you say is, oh, God loves you, God wants you to have joy, God wants you to be prosperous, God wants to bless you, well, there's no tension or problem to resolve for that person. They're going, awesome, cool, sign me up. So there, there does need to be this progression, and this is a good gospel presentation because it takes people through that, the problem of sin at the beginning. So those are really Romans 3.23 is the key verse there. There's a couple other verses in Romans that you can look at with that one that set up the problem of sin. The next, uh, the next phase to look at is in Romans 6.23. So this is what you could write in your, in your margin there in your Bible to direct you to that next passage. What's the consequences of sin? Well, the first part of Romans 6.23 says this. I'd encourage you to only read half the verse as you're presenting the gospel at first. For the wages of sin is death. Okay, this is still in the bad news segment. Now, this verse takes a, a very positive turn into the good news in the second half, and we'll get there in just a moment. But now this gives you a chance to talk to that person that you're sharing the gospel with about what happens because of our sin. Wages are very understandable to everyone that you're going to encounter. They get it, right? So there is a transaction that occurs when you show up for work and punch that time clock faithfully. At the end of the work period, there's a paycheck that you receive. But this is a different kind of paycheck. You have earned it through your sin. You, you're falling short of the glory of God. You're living life in your own way. You're living in rebellion. You're going down your own path. Earns the paycheck that's mentioned here the beginning of Romans 6.23 and the wages of sin is death. So this is a problem. This is the consequence of sin. And it would fit with the question Okay, sure, sure, maybe, yeah, I, okay, technically I'm not a good person, I'm a sinner, yeah, I agree with that, but is sin that big of a deal? Or is my sin that big of a deal? You know, I've never murdered anyone, I've never done any of the really bad sins, is my sin that big of a deal? Well, to help them understand that God's word says the wages of sin is death, and then you can even unpack what is death. It's not just physical death, but there is spiritual death that, that affects our eternity. It affects that first question that you opened with. Where are you going to go when you die? And this is talking about eternal, spiritual, and physical separation from God. So to make that clear for them to see, you know, so God says that we've all sinned and sin is serious. It has permanent consequences. Now this gives you the opportunity to get into the solution, which begins in the second half of this verse. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that ties into the next verse that you would write in your margins, Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8 says this, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
So we, we've, seen, we've heard the problem, we've heard the consequences, now the solution is provided by God through his son Jesus. That he's the one who, because of love, died for us in our sin, died for you when you were far from him, when you were under that wrath of sin's judgment, which leads to death in every aspect of death. But at that moment, God gave this free gift of eternal life through Jesus while you were still a sinner. And so that's where the joy comes in. You can unpack that. You could talk about that. Maybe you share your story about when Jesus encountered you at that, at that point and how your life changed. That would be a good place to insert some of your own story as well to illustrate that for them. And then it does, you know, this is not all just an intellectual experience. Like, okay, now at a cognitive level, level I understand theoretically you know, up here in, in my head, what the problem of sin is, what the consequences are, and what the solution is. But there's a need to bring that 12 inches lower and affect the heart and, and affect a response. There is a response to the gospel that's required. And so the next uh, passage that you would write in the margin of your Bible there next to Romans 5 8 is Romans 10 9 through 10. This is the response. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You can unpack that with them. You can talk about what does it mean to have Jesus be both Savior and Lord, right? So the Savior part is, is the solution to the consequences of sin that you've already covered by walking through this Romans road. You know, there's a problem because of sin. We've all sinned. Sin leads to death, separation from God. God gives the free gift through Jesus. Now it's up to you. Do you accept that gift? Do you allow Jesus to cleanse you from your sin? So there's a believing and a confessing. He's the Savior because of his dealing with the consequences of sin. He's the Lord when you give your life to him and surrender to him and say, I'm no longer in the driver's seat, you are. Confession and belief, right? So it's more than just saying some words. It's meaning those words. Again, similar to your wedding day. You know, if you just muttered out the words, yeah, the sickness and in hell for richer, for poor, you could, you could potentially in those wedding vows uh, just be saying words without meaning it. But if, if you believe it, if this is a, a, an all-in proposition that affects your thinking, your feeling, your emotions, your priorities, your values, and then you stumble over the words that come out, it doesn't matter, Right? You know, I, I mean, there's some funny wedding videos where the bride or the groom mess up on the vows, right? And things don't quite come out uh, the way that they, they were written. And yet at the end of that ceremony, the minister still says, I, I, I now present for the first, I, I, uh, I announce, I pronounce, that's the word. <laughs> I Thank you, wife. <laughs> I pronounce you husband and wife. She could, you know, we, we, get the, we got a connection there. 
I pronounce you husband and wife, right? And, and so, and even if the minister messes up and stumbles with the, uh, the pronouncement, announcement, whatever it is, the believing is there and it results in a new couple that's united together. So the confession with your mouth is a very simple confession here in, in Romans 9. It's simply the confession, Jesus is Lord. There's a lot said in that simple phrase. One of the things that's implied in the, in the statement, Jesus is Lord, is to refute any other beliefs about who Jesus is. It's to refute the idea that Jesus is just a good teacher. Jesus was a fictional character. Jesus is a nice idea. When you say Jesus is Lord, you've just eliminated all those possibilities. Jesus is something that would be beneficial to society if you would tack him onto whatever else you have going on. That falls short of that statement, Jesus is Lord. By saying Jesus is Lord, uh, what do you do when your Lord walks into the room and you're in the presence of your Lord? You bow to your knees. You say, I surrender. I yield to you. Direct me, my liege. Tell me where to go. Tell me how to live. Tell me what to do. I serve you. This life isn't about my priorities and my values and my kingdom. It's about you. And as a loyal subject in your kingdom, I declare Jesus is Lord. There's a lot to that, that sentence. And help, help that person that you're sharing the gospel with to understand that this is an all-in proposition. If the response that we're called to, when you confess Jesus is Lord, there's, there's a lot that comes with that confession. But you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have memorized this Bible to begin that process. It's just that commitment and that decision that begins in your heart and it comes out of your mouth that says, I'm beginning this process of surrendering to Jesus, of receiving what he's done. And God honors that. God sees that beginning, that simple seed of faith. He's the one that then waters it, sends down the roots, brings up the shoot, creates some little leaves, and eventually that produces fruit in the life of a new believer. And, and there's a lot of times we, we over, overly complicate the gospel. If, if you and I were to write this passage here in Romans, we would say, if you confess with your mouth the core essential doctrines of the Christian faith, including the Apostles' Creed, you know, we, we might add something like that. But that's not what God says through his word. He just says simply, confess that Jesus is Lord. Let's start with the core, essential, minimal kernel of gospel truth that a person needs in order to have saving faith what's the response that's required get to that place where your heart believes it and your mouth confesses you are the lord and that's where god is now transferring that gift of salvation because of jesus to you the individual so that's the response and then a couple couple last uh segments of the romans road here 
uh, earlier, or, or just a couple verses later there in, in chapter 10 of Romans, is this verse. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. One of the things that a lot of people struggle with is assurance of salvation, right? And that's why it's good when you first start out and ask about eternity and say, do you know for sure where you would go if you were to die tonight? Because a lot of people are like, well, I, I don't know for sure, but I, I would hope that I would go to heaven. And so they're living in this perpetual uncertainty. I actually don't know for sure. And maybe the, maybe the scales would tip depending on what kind of a Monday I had. Right? And there's people living in an unsettled state. But that's not what God desires to give through Jesus. And so this verse should give hope to know if you, if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not, you might be saved. Or you've got a pretty good chance at being saved. And then this verse here, Romans 10, 13, it doesn't say almost everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't say everyone who calls on the name of the Lord has a really good shot at getting saved. There is some assurance here that brings comfort and rest and hope to know that, man, if this is a gift from God because of what Jesus has done, and my responsibility is to receive that free gift, that results in joy, confidence, hope. I don't need to waste any more emotional energy every day wondering, am I going to make it? But to just receive that and go, no, it's, it's not because of my effort, it's because of what he did on the cross and rest in that. You know, we've, there's, a, there's an old hymn that captures this verse. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. You know, and that's, how, that's what you feel like singing when you get a hold of this. Like, I know, where I, I know where I stand with him. I know where I belong. I know where I'm going. And you want that person as you're presenting the gospel to get to that point where they taste and see the joy that comes from really knowing how this story ends. And then the last verse would be just a couple verses later in Romans 10, verse 17, which would help them to kind of think through what are the next steps? What do you do? Now that you've heard the gospel, you've responded, you've tasted the joy that God has for you in this new life, Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And that kind of gets them to the idea that there's some growth now. This is the beginning There's more that God wants to do in you as you get into his word, as you get into a community of believers where you can be in that kind of covenant relationship where you're going, hey, I don't have it all figured out either. I'm also a person in progress. But we band together as brothers and sisters in Christ, looking to him and allowing that faith to continue to come by hearing, continue to come together to his word and grow day by day, week by week, encouraging one another, building each other up. And that's, that's part of the joy of this Christian walk as well. So you get an opportunity to share that with them. So that's, in a nutshell, that's the Romans Road. Again, you can find, you know, there's probably somebody with a YouTube video. Like, if, if there's anything you don't know how to do, you should be able to find it out on YouTube, right? Whether it's fixing the crack screen on your phone or the transmission on your car or how to share the Romans Road gospel presentation with someone there should never be an excuse of yeah you know the reason why i don't share the gospel is because i don't know how to do it do you have youtube come on seriously people 
Well, today you've got uh, one tool that could help you. We'll go over another uh, tool next Sunday. Why should you share good news? I'm going to give you three reasons why and then three answers to the why not. Why should you share the good news? If you're taking notes, this is on the second half of your, of your sermon note. Uh, the number one reason for why you should share the good news is because Jesus commands us to share the good news. And, and we read that verse earlier in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. It says this, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. So if, if you're a follower of Jesus and you have confessed with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and then he goes, okay, am I your Lord? Good. I'm, I've been looking for loyal subjects of my kingdom. I've been looking for laborers who will go out in, into the harvest fields because the harvest is ripe. And I'm so glad to hear you say Jesus is Lord because now you are marked as my son, as my daughter, as one of those laborers in the vineyard. And I've got some marching orders for you here. My last words on earth recorded in Mark's gospel. I would like you to do this. I'd like you, daughter of the king, son of the king, to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel or the good news to the whole creation. That's my my one command I leave with you here as I'm on my way to the Father's right hand. I'll be coming back shortly to see how you're doing with that. So if he leaves that command, that should be enough for us to say, okay, the why is answered. My king commands it. And as much as I may have other priorities, other desires, other things that I think would be uh, you know, time better spent, my king said to do this. And so I'm, I'm going to reorient my priorities, my thinking, my values, and make this my primary mission in this life. You know, he didn't say, go and make as much money as you can. Go and build a career. Go and acquire tangible earthly goods. He said, go and make disciples. And so this should be our our driving focus is to obey our king and to follow after him. The second reason for why you should share the good news is because the need is great. Uh, I'm going to share some, I hope you can see these. Um, this is a slide of some information that um, I received at a Converge Rocky Mountain Pastors meeting in November about our mission field right here in Denver. And it looks like it may be too small for you guys to see. Uh, oh, you, you might be able to see it. Okay. Here's some, here's some facts about the, the Converge Rocky Mountain region that our church is a part of. So this would be Colorado, Wyoming, and Utah. This is our mission field. Why should we share the good news? Utah has the highest teen suicide rate in the country. And Wyoming and Colorado have some of the highest overall suicide rates. So in this tri-state area, there's a lot of desperate, broken, hurting people that when it comes to those big questions of life, they are not coming up with sufficient answers. They're living in hopelessness and despair to the point of saying, my life is not worth living. I mean, we are on the, on the cutting edge of opportunities to, to be with and interact with people who need the good news. They're not hearing good news elsewhere. A second factor here in our area, and this is nationwide, worldwide, 
We've never lived at a time in history where people are more connected and yet more lonely than they've ever been. There's this superficial level of connections that people have and yet they're, they're not having that face-to-face interaction with other humans. There's greater loneliness today than ever before. A third factor is there's, in our region here in particular, we've got huge issues of gender confusion, same-sex marriages, LGBTQ issues, very, very common and prevalent here, which cause a lot of confusion on what is life all about? Where am I going? Who am I? Here in the Rockies, we have a 93% unchurched rate, and in Utah, that figure is 98%. What that means is, you know, today we could do a head count in this room. So this would be one church in Aurora where the truth of God's word is proclaimed on Sundays, where we worship the God of the Bible, where we look to Jesus. So you guys are among the church. You're among this 7% here in, in, the, in, the, in this tri-state area. But then if we added up all of us that are here on a weekend or, or during a, a midweek service hearing the gospel, and we compared that to the population numbers of our city, that's where you would get the statistic. So it doesn't mean, you know, that number would look differently if it was what percentage of people attend a church service at least once a year. It'd be a lot, a a higher number. But really the people that are consistently coming in and saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm I'm seeking to grow and to know him and to get into his word. These are the numbers. So what does that do for you when you see that 93% number? You know, hopefully it gives you some urgency, like, wow, we gotta, we got to turn this around. This is worse than it was a decade or two ago. The numbers I heard when I first came here was more like 88%, which is still worse than Minnesota, where we came from. Um, but it's not going in the right direction. We're not moving the needle in the direction of, like, we're taking ground here in making disciples. It's actually going the opposite way. So there's an urgency, but also it should give you some excitement. Like, man, this should be easy. That means out of every 100 people I bump into this week, 93% of them need to hear the gospel. You're not going to be wasting your time. Like, you know, you're halfway through the Romans road and they're like, okay, just just stop, just stop. I'm a Christian. Can you move on and go? You've got a 93% chance once you overcome the hurdle that's preventing you from sharing the good news, a 93% chance of finding fertile soil where the truth of God's word needs to be planted. And you've also got a 93% chance that you're the only one who will share the gospel with that person this week, this month, this year. Because there's only 7% of us among the whole demographic who are qualified, equipped, and prepared to share good news. And you're one of them. So it should give you some urgency but excitement as well. Number five, over two million unchurched people in the Denver metro area alone. And they, the, it's a wide open harvest field right here where we live. And as you'll know by looking right around the building here at all the Tyvek and plywood and piles of dirt and machinery, Colorado is growing by 100,000 people a year. 
So there's no, there's no shortage of people who need to hear the gospel, and it doesn't look like it's going to end. You are in a, in a prime location to be salt and light. God has you right where you are for a reason. You have a, a great opportunity to be a part of the mission field right here in the Denver area. And finally, currently we are starting only one-third of the churches necessary to keep up with our population growth. So again, uh, this statistic, unless there are new churches planted at a much faster rate than we're currently doing, these statistics are going to get worse. So that gives you a little bit of, a, of an idea of, of, of a why, not only because our Lord commands it, but because the need is great. There are desperate, hurting, broken people who need good news. And there's a harvest field right here where we live. And we're the ones that are called to reach these people, these neighbors, these coworkers, these classmates, these family members, these acquaintances with the good news. They need the gospel. The, the third and, and final why should you share the gospel point that I'll give you, this is not an exhaustive list. I encourage you to use this as a springboard for your own thinking and conversation. Why should we share the gospel? But I'll just leave this for you. Why should we share the gospel? Because of love, because of joy, because of hope. If you had the cure for cancer, would you keep it to yourself? If you have received this gift of eternal life, wouldn't you want to share that with someone else? And I think, I think love as, as a core motivator, um, you know, I'm not, one, I'm, I'm not one of these people that takes selfies and posts them out there on, on social media. My, my, uh, my lovely daughter, Abigail, forced me to take a picture with my bride holding a, a little ultrasound picture here recently, and, and she posted. I'm like, fine, whatever. I yeah, got my smile going there. But, you know, it, it's one of these cute pictures of, you know, the couple, the pretty wife, the bald husband in his mid-40s holding an ultrasound photo. Lord, help us. <laughs> but it's a, it's a public pronouncement of, of our love, right? You know, it's out there like, hey, I love this woman. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm glad that you guys know this. I want to brag about her. And hopefully as you see that, you're going, no, that's healthy. That's good. That, you know, if there's a decent marriage, you want that. Now, if I stop wearing my wedding ring, you know, if, if when you ask me if I'm married, I start giving you evasive answers to that, changing the subject, you're going to be a bit concerned, right? Ooh, I think they might be having some issues. Because I heard he's married, but he's kind of not wanting to talk about that. If you have received the love of God, if you love Jesus, brag about him. Show him off. Be bold and courageous about sharing good news. Let other people see that love relationship with him that you have. And maybe if you're, if you're experiencing some fear or apprehension about, that, apprehension about that, maybe it's time to get back to your first love. To spend some one-on-one time with him. To rekindle that flame to remember who you were before he met you and who you are now because of his life-changing touch in your life and get that joy of your salvation back so that you can then begin to share that with others. 
Uh, I, think, I think on this point, that, that love, that joy, that hope that you've experienced, this is an appropriate part of your gospel presentation. Think about your own testimony. You know, maybe you write that out. Where did you come from? What was your life like before Jesus? How did you first meet him? How has your life been different since that point? And a lot of times that can be a concrete way for that person that you're bringing good news to to start to think through their own circumstances in life as they hear your story. Well, why not share the good news? I'll give you three potential uh, excuses that you may have and then I'll, I'll debunk them quickly here as we, as we close. So maybe the, maybe the first reason why you're saying why you would not share the good news is because you just say, I'm afraid. And that's legitimate. Maybe you're, you fear rejection. You know, what would happen if I share, if I take this step and actually open my Bible with this person that I've known for a while and they now reject me? Well, if so, let me just encourage you with knowing that that may happen, but they're actually not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus. Here's what Jesus says in Luke 10. He's sending out 72 followers, sending them out two by two into all the towns like laborers in the fields for the harvest. And he says this in verse 16. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. The one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So, you know, it's really not up to us to be motivated to go through life with the primary goal of, I want everyone to like me. Um, that's just not a high enough aspiration. That, you know, my whole life go- goal is to be popular or to be liked or to be accepted. So let me help you to, to set aside this fear of rejection by telling you it's okay to be rejected. That wasn't the goal anyway. Your acceptance was not the primary goal. Be faithful to present the gospel. There may be times when people initially reject you because they're rejecting Jesus, but then years later, God uses that as one of the seeds of gospel truth that was planted in their heart. And they circle back around and go, you know when I made life miserable for you back then, when I rejected you? Thank you for doing that. I'm now a follower of Jesus. I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. My life is different, and I appreciate your faithfulness, even though what I did to you was wrong at that time. Forgive me. Sometimes that rejection turns into acceptance later as that person accepts the Lord. Maybe it's a fear of saying, I don't know, I won't know what to say. Well, now you do. You've got the Romans road, and you'll get some more tools this month. So, you can anything that you don't know how to do, you can learn, you can work on, you can practice. Maybe you, you would say, I'm, I'm afraid because what if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? Well, then just be humble about it. You know, they may ask you a really tough question. They may actually ask you a question intended to stump you, to take the focus off of their heart and their need for a savior and instead they'll bring into some theoretical religious realm of something that's really fuzzy and gray and hard to answer just push that aside and say you know that's a really good question Uh, we can dig into trying to find an answer for that but i don't have an answer for you today so maybe we could explore that next time we meet 
and talk about this some more. And then you can go and get some help from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Man, you won't believe this question I got. What would you say? What does God's word say, say about this? So it's, it's okay to say, I don't know. Well, maybe, maybe, you're, maybe a second possibility of why not share the good news is because you would just say, well, it's just not my thing. You know, it's not my spiritual gift. If that's been your excuse or that's what's been keeping you from sharing the good news, let me just challenge you to pray and ask God to put his heart within you. Here's what Jesus, uh, here's how he responded when he encountered lost people. This is in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, if he were to come to Denver, he'd see two million people that don't know him. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So if you're observing Jesus in his interactions with a multitude of lost people, and what you're seeing about him, he's, he's got compassion. He's moved with compassion. There's some action. It's not just bad feelings, but it's, it's bad feelings that lead to some actions on his part. And he's moved with compassion. And then he gives instructions to his followers. He says, pray that God will send some laborers to do something about the predicament that these people, these lost and wandering people are in. Pray. And you know what's going to happen as you pray? And you say, you know, that's, not, that's just not my thing. Sharing good news with people, I, I'm not comfortable with that. Well, as you obey that command to pray, God's going to begin to shape your heart. And all of a sudden, your heart's going to be beating with Jesus' heart. And you're, you're going to begin to weep when you encounter people who are lost and helpless and they're wandering around with like sheep without a shepherd. That's a dangerous place to be when you don't have a shepherd caring for you and there's coyotes and wolves around. You need a shepherd to keep you safe. And when you see people that are in that unsafe place walking toward destruction and pain, your heart will begin to be shaped by Jesus' heart and he'll give you that compassion. And finally, maybe your why not for sharing the gospels could just say, I'm not good at it. Well, that could come from inexperience. Um, and so I would say simply practice makes perfect. Try it out, you know, and then get some feedback. So maybe tomorrow you go to work and you got the Romans Road and you're like, all right, it's lunch break. This person's been sobbing all morning asking about the meaning of life. This may be my opportunity. You lay it out, and, they're, and they get all done. They're like, well, that was weird. And then you go home, and you debrief. You're like, okay, what, how did that go? How could I improve that? What, you know, how could I listen more? How could I present this in a way that, that would be more effective next time? How can I follow up? So practice it. Um, the other thing I want to encourage you with is that this is not all about your presentation. You know, like if you get the, the slick, polished, Billy Graham 
evangelism strategy, if you just say the words exactly this way with this little tremble in your voice, a little just as I am organ music playing in the background, every time they're going to come to the altar in repentance, right? It's not a formula. And, and just to let you off the hook and, and take the pressure off a little bit, it's actually the Holy Spirit working in people's hearts and lives. It's God drawing people to himself. You just get to step into the middle of what he's already doing. And so if you present it in a way that's really super effective or really ineffective, if God's not at work in that person, it'll just become a seed that's planted that may sprout down the road at some time unknown to you. But if God's already at work in that person's heart and you simply obediently step into the middle of what the Holy Spirit is already doing in them, you can have a really subpar presentation of the good news and God can use it. I'll give you one illustration from the Old Testament. Here's a, a, a famous sermon from the book of Jonah. Jonah's sermon, I'm going to preach this whole sermon this morning. I know, I know we've been here a long time, but let me just preach the entire sermon that Jonah proclaimed to the city of Nineveh. Are you ready? Here it is. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed, period. Let's close in prayer. That was his sermon in Nineveh. That's a horrible sermon. And I hope you don't use that in your gospel presentation tomorrow at work or at school. In 40 days, you will burn in the pit of hell. Thank you. Nice to see you. Happy Monday. I mean, that was essentially, in a nutshell, the, the sermon of Jonah. How did God use that? Well, look at this verse. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. That horrible sermon started a revival in Nineveh. If God can do that, what can he do with someone who's equipped with the Romans road to walk someone through an understanding of the problem of sin, the consequences, the solution, the response, the assurance, the next steps of putting faith in Jesus? I'll leave you with this last verse. 1 Corinthians, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And, and you are a part of this story in someone's life as you bring good news. So he's, he's referring to one of his co-workers in ministry named Apollos. What is Apollos? What is Paul? We're just nobodies. We're just dudes. We're servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. You've got a planting or a watering role in someone's life this month. God's got a name that he's beginning to put in your heart and in your mind. He's saying, here's an opportunity for you to share good news. But you're not going to bring growth. That's up to him to do. He's the one that's working 
in the hearts and lives of the people around us, the two million people right in our immediate vicinity who need the gospel. But it's up to us to be co-workers with him, to join him in his harvest, and say, okay, God, I, I know you, you produce the growth, but I'm willing to be a planter. I'm willing to put some water on a seed that someone else has planted. And then just sit back and trust that you do the miracle of producing growth in someone's life. Why don't we stand together and I, I'm going to invite you as I close in prayer that you would pray for that person that God is putting on your heart, that person that this month you're committing to sharing the good news with.